I've entitled this message, The Spirit in Acts. But what I want to remind us of is that we're not looking at latter rain in the book of Acts. The latter rain is something far beyond the early rain. But in the book of Acts, we're witnessing what is available to God's people with early rain. And always since that day, early rain has been available to God's people. Uh, some seem to get it, but the majority uh, fail to get it. There are times when, for instance, in the founding of the Adventist Church through the Millerite movement, it is obvious that it was another Pentecost, that the meetings that they held were so full of the power of the Holy Spirit that it only could be compared with Pentecost. So uh, that's always been available. And the question is whether we have it or not. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, we see that Jesus told his disciples just before ascending to heaven, don't go anywhere to take the gospel until you receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it's kind of like saying you will not succeed in taking the gospel to the world if you don't have the early rain. And they listened to him, and, and as a result, we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now in that, we see some very important points. Number one, the uh, economy of the Old Testament had three main feast days. Some of them were eight days long, but Pentecost was only one day because it was right in the middle of their gardening season. So he only gave them one day. Well, Jesus died on Passover, the exact day. That was Passover. Now, 50 days later was Pentecost. And if you check what was going on, you discover that after the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples. He didn't spend the time going around healing people and doing what he did before. But he spent those 40 days specifically helping his disciples to be ready when he would leave. But he left after 40 days. And he instructed them that they should pray. And so they prayed for 10 days. I'm sure that's the reason why our church leaders, who are very eager to see the revival happen in the Adventist church, they have picked this 10 days of prayer program. That they're hoping that the same thing that happened to the disciples will happen to the Adventist church. And whether or not it happens to everybody, it can happen to those that are ready. So we don't have to worry if many don't seem to be interested or don't, uh, you know, sincerely seek for it, but he will give it to those who are sincere. So that's why it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, on that exact day, 
And another key point is that up in heaven, that was the day that Jesus was put back in his position, having won the victory for all of us, and he was installed in his position. And they were to know that he was installed in his position because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, he's been there ever since, so he's still in the same position. The next phrase is very significant. They were all with one accord in one place. Now, if you can't come, we hope you're doing it at home at least, joining us, you know, in prayer at home. But if we expect to see a, a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we have to be in one accord. Now, as you read the story about the disciples, that was not an easy task. I don't suppose everybody in this church wants to be the leader. But how would you like to be in charge of 12 disciples? Every one of them wants to be the leader. And they're all struggling to get the position and hoping that they can get it. And some of the things they pull trying to get it is very interesting. But after these 10 days of prayer, plus all the rest that went before it, they said to themselves, we don't care who's the leader. We just want God to pick who he wants to pick. And we want God to, to you know, work it out to where we can accomplish the task. And so we have some of that possibly that we're tempted with here and a potential clinging to positions that maybe God wants someone else to try. I don't know, you know, what's in the hearts of everyone. But all of that has to be laid down. We have to come to the place where we say, Lord, use me as you see best, or don't use me at all if you see fit not to use me. Another thing that has to happen is all of the frustrations that we have with each other have to be surrendered to Him. And we have to say, Lord, help me to focus on the good points of, of all of the rest of the members so that there's no barrier between us at all, nothing that makes us wish, well, I wish I didn't have to relate with so-and-so. And a third area is to where we are willing to love each other even if things have been done that hurt us and so on. Now there's times when we need to talk it over and try to get it out of the way. But we cannot allow it to fester and keep on hindering our relationship together. Now there's more probably to it than that, but those are three of the big ones. And during those 10 days, all of that got removed. They had all those three problems. And they all got removed and as a result, God said, now I can pour out my Holy Spirit on them. They're ready. And they will not take the credit. They will not seek for a position. They will not fight among each other. They will be happy. You know, I've often thought of uh, war because really we are in a war. When you're in war, you don't worry 
if the soldier next to you steps on your toe. You're just happy to have another gun pointed at the enemy. And, but when we are at peace, we start having difficulties with one another. And we don't like this, and we don't like that, and we, and we say things or do things toward each other that shouldn't be done. Well, you know, it takes some uh, conquering of ourselves, I realize. But if we recognize that we're at war, we're just glad we've got another Seventh-day Adventist member to help us with the task of taking the gospel to the world. Well, with that background, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. You know, that's an interesting way of finding out that the Holy Spirit has come. There's a sound of a rushing mighty wind. doesn't usually happen inside, but in this occasion, they felt and heard this wind blowing at them. I've only had one experience in my life that kind of uh, told me maybe what it was like. I was riding in the car going somewhere and I was listening to a sermon. And as the speaker was making the points, and it was an end time sermon about, you know, getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And as I was listening to that, I felt like there was a strong wind, you know, like when you put your arm out the window at 70 miles an hour. I felt like there was this strong wind blowing on my heart. Now, there was no literal wind, but it felt like there was the wind blowing. And so they uh, were aware that something was happening. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. So a second evidence that the Holy Spirit had come, as Jesus promised, on the day of Pentecost, that it would fall upon them, it came. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here we see that the Holy Spirit always comes for a purpose. It's not gibberish. It's not to make the individual say, well, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit because this has happened. No, it is so that they can give the message to some people group that needs to get the message. That's why he poured out the Holy Spirit. And as I was studying for this sermon, I realized even more than ever before, the purpose of giving the Holy Spirit is primarily to enable us to share the message with greater power. It's not to say, oh, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Look at me, I've received the Holy Spirit. No, it is to enable us to take the message that needs to go very rapidly uh, throughout all the world. Then later in the chapter after Peter's sermon, <coughs> says, Then they gladly received his word, 
they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now some people think, well, wow, wasn't that a powerful sermon that Peter gave? But the truth is, this was a harvest from the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. And yet the sermon had a part in bringing about the decision. The Holy Spirit convicted them so powerfully from what they saw and what they were hearing that 3,000 of them decided to get baptized. <coughs> now let's look just briefly at some of the preparation that the disciples made in order to receive this gift. In Acts of the Apostles, page 37, the disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men and in their daily intercourse to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. Now, right away, there's a couple of words that should leap out at us. Intense earnestness. This doesn't happen with now I lay me down to sleep prayers. There's no intense earnestness there. So it often takes a while of praying before the intense earnestness develops. And I suppose that was true of the disciples that when they started the 10 days, they were not as earnest as they were later. But every day as they were praying together, they were realizing more their need and their, their interest became more intense. And so they, by the time the 10 days were over, they were really pleading with God and they knew they were not good instruments. They were not you know, perfect instruments like Jesus had been. And so they were pleading for a fitness that they could witness for uh, someone else, for Jesus. Another part, putting away all differences. If there is anything that is separating anyone from someone else by way of, you know, something that's been done, then that was the time that the disciples went to each other and they said, I'm sorry. And they made those things right, got rid of them. Also, all desire for the supremacy was put away. And don't you suppose they had to pray, asking God, please help me to get rid of my desire to be the one in charge of the rest and to have certain positions, please. Deliver me from that tendency. Well, as a result of those two things, they came close together in Christian fellowship. And so they felt that bond of love between them uh, far more as these 10 days progressed than what they had before. But the most important one, they drew nearer and nearer to God. And really, that's the secret to all of it. The closer we are to God, the more we will have all these blessings that they receive. And the farther away we are, the more we have troubles and problems 
And you know, some churches, not this one, praise God, but some churches have so many problems, the pastor has hardly any time to do any evangelism because he's so busy trying to keep the church going and, you know, not splitting up. In Upward Look, it adds a couple of thoughts to the rushing mighty wind on page 38. When the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, it was like a rushing mighty wind. It was given in no stinted measure. It's kind of like, you know, if you have a huge amount of water and it builds up behind the dam until the dam breaks, it's powerful when that water comes down and people need to leave before that happens if, if there is a danger. Well, in this case, it was a dam holding back the power of the Holy Spirit and I like to call the day of Pentecost the day the dam broke. And this power of the Holy Spirit came down in fullness upon those disciples in no stinted measure. For it filled all the place where the disciples were sitting. And here's the best part of all. So will it be given to us when... Our hearts are prepared to receive it. So this is not just a story, you know. I'm afraid as Adventists we've gotten used to loving stories. We have missionaries come and they share exciting stories of what God did for them. But we're not willing to go as a missionary and get our own story. This is the problem. We love good stories. But... God wants to give us a good story. He wants to say, that was just an example of what I want to do for you. So, will it be given to us when our hearts are prepared to receive it? So we can never blame him why we didn't get it. All we can do is say, Lord, help me to get ready. I don't know how long it'll take me to get ready, but I'm going to keep after you until I'm ready, and then I know you will give this same blessing to me. Now here's just a few of the results that happened from that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts of the Apostles, page 38. The Spirit came upon the waiting, praying disciples with a fullness that reached every heart. The Infinite One revealed Himself in power to His church. Now this is specifically talking of those 120 people that have been meeting day after day, and they weren't there all day, if you read the whole story. They were just there at certain times during the day, like we are, at a certain time. The Infinite One revealed Himself in power to His church. It was as if for ages this influence had been held in restraint. That's where I got the, the breaking of the dam idea. It was held back. God said, my people aren't ready. I can't give it to them. But it kept building up. What should have come kept building up behind the dam. It was as if for ages this influence had been held in restraint. And now heaven rejoiced in being able to pour out upon the church 
the riches of the Spirit's grace. Don't you suppose it has been building up again? That there is a huge reservoir of the Holy Spirit that should have come down to God's people, but they didn't, they weren't ready. And once we get ready, it's going to pour down upon us like it did to the disciples. And then the latter rain, even more, the latter rain. <clears throat> and under the influence of the Spirit, words of penitence and confession mingled with songs of praise for sins forgiven. You know, the older we get, well, even children have a struggle with this, but the older we get, the less we want to admit, especially in front of anybody, that we sin. And that's all a part of pride. You'll notice the characters of the Bible, they don't mind using their sin to try to help other people not sin the same way. They're not embarrassed by their sin. Everybody has sin. And so it doesn't mean we need to tell each other our private sins, but they recognize their need to confess their sin. Maybe when, I think it was at the last general conference, that a little video was sent around <clears throat> and it was based on what might have been in the early days of our church if the leaders had confessed to each other their sin and it showed people playing those parts and so on which I don't particularly go for but the point was clear that if that would happen that something special would happen to this church well, we passed that GC and it didn't happen. And it still hasn't happened. But it's going to happen to some before the end comes. Then it says, After their penitence and confession, now they felt so free, and as one person said, they felt as light as a feather because of God's acceptance of their confession and their freedom from guilt and so songs of praise uh, went up and words of thanksgiving and of prophecy were heard now i don't know whether you know i we can't promise that everybody's going to get these things god chooses what he gives us but these are some of the things that he gave to them uh, and not everybody got the gift of prophecy but uh, he can do that again, and I believe he will, from what the Bible teaches. In, uh, yeah, I forget, YRP, I think that's, uh, you shall yeah, you shall receive power. 307, Christ declares that the divine influence of the Spirit was to be with his followers unto the end. But, by some, this promise is not appreciated as it should be. Its fulfillment is not realized as it might be. Could that include us? That we haven't appreciated it as we should? And therefore, because we didn't appreciate it as we should, we haven't realized the fulfillment. But during these ten days, why not let God remove that uh, failure to be interested and really seek for this gift, which is 
supposed to be ours whenever we're ready. Now here are some of the things that we tend to put our trust in rather than the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Learning. Wow, we as Adventists have really put our trust in learning. I mean, nowadays, you, if you can't show enough degrees, you can't even be a pastor in the Adventist church. And we have exalted learning, but we haven't chosen pastors that we know are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, something's not right here. We're putting our trust in the wrong place. Another one, talents. We tend to pick talented people and give them leadership. We don't worry about whether they are baptized with the Holy Spirit or not, just as long as they're talented. But that's not a good plan. And then, of course, I, I don't think there's too many people, maybe none here, that have the gift of eloquence. I mean, I've heard some really eloquent speakers, and it's, it's wonderful to listen to, but... The one that I heard was also baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it was a powerful message. Other things, every natural or acquired endowment may be possessed. So you see all those things we, we've been putting our trust in, but without the presence of the Spirit of God, no heart, not some hearts, no heart will be touched. No sinner won to Christ. Wow. Doesn't that make the Holy Spirit pretty important? That even if we had all those things, learning, talents, eloquence, all kinds of natural and acquired endowments, we had all those, but we didn't have the Holy Spirit, no heart would be touched. Does it give you the impression that to a large extent, Seventh-day Adventists have been spinning their wheels in the world, trying to take the gospel, but just spinning our wheels until we get the power of the Holy Spirit. When his disciples are connected with Christ, when the gifts of the Spirit are theirs, even the poorest and most ignorant of them will have a power that will tell upon hearts. I love the story of Samuel Morris. He was like that. But the power that God exercised through him was incredible. God makes them the channel for the outworking of the highest influence in the universe. Now that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has more power than the Father or the Son. They all three are the highest uh, influence in the universe. But the, the difference is the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at once and the Holy Spirit can dwell in us and therefore we become a channel for the highest influence in the universe. So doesn't it make sense? As the young people say today, it's a no-brainer. It should be a no-brainer. Well, let's just look at a few other glimpses because it wasn't just Pentecost. This became a lifestyle for the early Christian church. This is what happened over and over again in the early Christian church. So in Acts 4, 
uh, verses 1 to 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they got all the leaders stirred up and they said, we thought we got rid of the problem when we killed Jesus, but now there is a power similar to what Jesus had in all these disciples. And so they were exceedingly frustrated in wanting to stop them. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold or in prison until the next day, for it was now even tide. So they didn't want to uh, try them that night, and they put them in prison overnight. However, notice the impact of the sermon. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. If there were 5,000 men, you can be sure there were at least 5,000 women and some young people that were added to that. And so here we see another outpouring of the Holy Spirit with even larger numbers than what happened with Peter's sermon there on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> In the same chapter, verses 29 through 32, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So now they've been in prison, they've had some suffering, and they have been warned not to talk anymore about Jesus. And so they gather together and they say, Jesus, help us not to worry about the opposition that we are facing. But please, help us to be faithful to you in giving the message. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. So it wasn't just on one occasion. And then they started having problems with each other, but they stayed united together because they kept receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Go over to Acts 6. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied. Guess where? In Jerusalem. It was like the leaders could not stop the advancement of the gospel in Jerusalem. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Isn't that amazing? You know, some of those who were probably persecutors ended up, under the power of the Holy Spirit, joining the early Christian church. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit 
and they were willing to admit they had been in the wrong, and so we have a very bad feeling about all the Jewish leaders and the priests and so on, but the Bible assures us they weren't all bad. They were, many of them, were turned by the power of the Holy Spirit to become faithful workers. Acts 8, verses 14 through 17. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. So here they hear about this revival up in Samaria. Now, Samaria was the capital city of what used to be the Israelites or the ten tribes. Uh, Jerusalem was the center of two tribes. And they had split uh, quite a while previous. So they heard about this revival up in Samaria, so they sent Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Notice they were always, the, the blessing of being filled with the Holy Spirit was such a blessing, they wanted everybody to have it. So uh, the only thing it mentions that they prayed for was that these people would receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> for as yet, he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they'd been baptized, but they hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. That can happen today. And I believe it often happens together, but it can happen separately. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Wow. So you get the picture that wherever they go, their meetings are frequently places where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon more and more people. Acts 10, we read for the text. While Peter yet spake these words, now you know the story. Uh, Peter sees a sheep let down with all kinds of unclean things. And he was told to rise and eat. Well, people get the idea this is instruction on diet. But if you read farther down the chapter, you see that Peter got the point. I'm not supposed to call the Gentiles unclean. God poured out his Holy Spirit on Gentiles? They were sh shocked. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. God wouldn't pour that out on them if they were unclean. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now this time, 
They got baptized with the Holy Spirit and then they got baptized with the water. And the other one, they were baptized with the water and then got baptized by the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't matter which way it works as long as we receive the baptism of the Spirit. Here's our possibility. In a manuscript, 56, in 1898, this is the work that is needed to be done. If that was needed to be done a hundred years ago, it needs to be done even more today. So this is for us. This paragraph is for us. Let self be merged in Christ and Christ in God. And there will be a display of his power such as will melt and subdue the heart. Does that sound attractive? That you would like to have that happen? And it even tells the main thing that has to happen. Self has to be merged in Christ. We can't decide where we're going to go, what we're going to do, what we're going to say, how we're going to live. We have to let Jesus decide all that and tell us everything. We have, self has to be submerged in Christ. But if it is, then he has a tremendous blessing. A display of his power such as will melt and subdue the heart. The earnest prayer from contrite souls will be lodged by the throne of God. So every time we pray, he keeps an account there. And when we're ready, he pours out the answer to all of our prayers and we receive a tremendous blessing. Also in a letter, 208, written in 1907, when this work of consecration and faith enters into our experience, we will see the work that needs to be done and we will do it. You know, many people uh, say, well, I would like to work for souls, but I don't see what to do. I don't see anybody I can work with. What's the problem? We don't have the Holy Spirit. Notice when we have the Holy Spirit, it says clearly, we will see the work that needs to be done and we will do it when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Earnest prayer from a contrite heart will make its impression on human minds and the power of the Holy Spirit of God will be seen in the melting of the heart and the subduing of the Spirit to God. Amen. So our own hearts will be melted and subdued because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the Pacific Union Recorder of October 23, 1902, it asks a question, why is there not now more diligent seeking of the Lord that hundreds may be filled with the Holy Spirit and may go forth quickly to proclaim the truth. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The last part is a quote from one of the texts in Acts. Why? Isn't that an important question? Why aren't more people? Well, first of all, I don't think we're studying 
too much what happened to the disciples and therefore we don't have that craving and desire to receive the same. Second, I think most people feel, well, it's not now. It's not supposed to happen now. It's true, the latter rain's not supposed to happen now. I mean, it should have happened by now. But he can't give us the latter rain unless we've had the early rain because it's like pouring too much current, it would blow up the motor. <coughs> and so he has to wait until we receive the early rain before he can pour out the latter rain. And the sad thing is, People that don't receive the early rain, they won't even be able to receive the latter rain. So all those that are waiting are going to wait in vain. Now is the time. Now is the time to get the early rain. And the last one, Reflecting Christ, page 241. We need to feel the vivifying influence of the Holy Spirit as the disciples felt it on the day of Pentecost. Would God tell her to tell us that if we couldn't have it? Absolutely not. Everything that they got on Pentecost. Now it might not manifest itself in the exact same ways. We may not speak in tongues. We may not have the rushing mighty wind. That doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit chooses how it manifests itself. But we will receive the power in our own lives and the power to help other people that they receive if we can become enough interested to be persistent with Him until we have received the vivifying influence of the Holy Spirit. And why not have it happen during these 10 days of prayer? May God help each of us to really reach out for it. And then when we're together, it will compound that earnestness. And who knows what might happen? Only God knows. But wonderful things can happen.